Hi, I'm Madeline Frost, and you're listening to In the Middle. This podcast is where I share bits of my heart and writing. I'm sharing from the inside of my story while I'm still in the middle of my messes and mistakes, in the middle of being a wife and mother, in the middle of figuring out how to be both creative and ambitious, and the present mom I desire to be. I'm seeking out beauty and truth, and I hope that my weekly writing invites you along with me. I go through these cycles of absolutely not being able to stop reading. And to be clear, these days I consider listening to books reading. Along with the Audible credits I get each month, I also have a Scribd subscription, which allows me to stream audiobooks like I would shows on Netflix. Except what I didn't know until after subscribing is unlike a video streaming service, there's some sort of limit with Scribd. I always hit it and they tell me I can't listen to any more books until the next billing date. This is frustrating because there aren't clear parameters on how much I can listen to before that happens. If I knew how many credits I had to use or how many books I could actually listen to, I would make a list and be more considerate instead of jumping in willy-nilly to the random things that I'm currently interested in. These last couple of weeks, I haven't had much to say and a lot of desire to read. Sam is home from the hospital and is, of course, carless after his major car accident. I wanted to take him out to break up the monotony of being home. A few days ago, he and I went to Barnes & Noble's together. Seemed like the right place to go. The selection of books could more than make up for all the words that I haven't had. Barnes & Noble is a very fun date, siblings or otherwise. Going with Sam reminded me of 2015 and 2016, my newlywed season with Matthias. We didn't really have a lot of extra money to spend young and in love, having eloped without really discussing what our finances would look like with him in college and me in the beginning of my photography career. We loved going and getting coffees and sitting snugly on couches and reading our own stories. It was cheap, and the books were the adventures we could afford at that time. Barnes & Nobles took out all the couches, by the way. At least, where we are. Really annoying. I haven't been there super often these days, but I have a routine when I do. I go to the bar and get an Americana with steamed half and half and then make my way upstairs to this specific book stand near the top of the escalator that seems to always have books I like. There's not a title on the book stand, so honestly, I'm not sure what the theme is that they're building the collection around, but there's always at least one thing on there that really interests me, and I end up buying, reading, or listening to it. When Sam and I arrived this week and grabbed our coffees, we went upstairs together, and I shooed him off to go look at whatever he wanted to on the fiction shelves. That content doesn't interest me as much. I do wonder if it's because I can't see images in my mind. I only have words, so fiction and having to build worlds in my head just doesn't work for me. Do you know anybody without a mind's eye? Someone who can't picture an apple when they close their eyes? That's me. So if you didn't, now you do. Recently, I've really been into memoirs. Actually, this last week I finished Jill Duggars in a single day. It's called Counting the Costs. And if you grew up with IBLP teachings, I think it's a good read. Though her sister's book, Becoming Free Indeed, that I finished a couple months ago now, is even better if you're trying to sort through what's wrong in the IBLP world. Back to that Barnes & Noble stand by the escalator a few days ago, I picked up a book called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First by Laura Tremaine. It looked interesting, but what really sold me was when I flipped over the back and the first endorsement was by Shauna Nequist. Of course I had to read it. Shauna has been my friend for eight years now. Not that she knows me, but her words have befriended me and helped me feel known. Much like Sally Clarkson, I feel like she gives form and sentences to vague ideas and understandings I have in my gut, but can't get out. 
As I flipped through Share Your Stuff, I'll go first. I found Laura's writing inviting and easy, and I found with much joy that she has the same friendly, accessible tone that drew me to Shauna all those years ago. In the book, Laura's asking and answering 10 questions. The questions are an invitation for you to answer, but when she presents them, they're presented with stories from her own life. One of her questions, what broke you, opened up a memory I've pushed down for many years. I was 15 years old and swimming with my family. It was just mom and me and my sisters and brothers, everyone younger than me. I guess that was the case most of the time, though, because I only have one older brother and he moved out early. It was a hot Houston afternoon, the silence of the neighborhood in the middle of a school day sliced by the sounds of my siblings splashing and playing in the water. We were homeschooled, so it's not an odd thing that on a hot August day, other kids were in school while we were still beating the heat with water. My memory really feels like it begins with me sitting in a chair next to my mom talking, though I had been in and out of the water. We had a normal pattern of conversation. We would talk and then count heads, talk and then count heads. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Everyone's still there doing what kids do in pools, little mermaids, pretending to be able to see underwater, tag. And while they played and we talked, Samuel played around the pool, hot wheel car in hand, a toddler and not yet a swimmer. He only got in the water with us when he was being held. I love holding a toddler in a pool. If your life needs a little bit of joy, being in a pool with a two-year-old can provide it. I can't remember what we were discussing when we did our count and it was off by one child. One, two, three, four. Wait, that's not right. One, two, three, four. Where's Samuel? Panic had already set in by the second count of only four children. We jumped up to see if he had slipped somewhere else in the yard to play, but as soon as we stood, we could see him. He was in the deep end of the pool, floating face down, unmoving. I was plunged into a twilight zone, my head dizzy and body tingling as I ran to him. Jumping into the pool already crying, I handed him out of the water to my mom, who laid a small, limp, and slightly blue body on the ground. With just a few compressions, he threw up water and was wailing. My mom stayed calm, but I cried with him. The story ends up the best it possibly could have in our home that evening, every child still alive and tucked safely into their beds. But something happened inside of me that day. I lost my sense of safety. I don't know if it amplified something already within me or if it created something new. Either way, a fear of loss I could recognize and name was planted. It was like for the first time I realized the delicate balance of life. And it was then that I began waiting for the other shoe to drop. The more I grew to treasure and love my days and the people that make up my life, the more the looming darkness of fear and loss grew too. I carried that fear into my married life and into my motherhood. And when I saw from a distance people losing loved ones, it made my fear seem reasonable and warranted. And then my friend, my real life friend, put her precious baby boy down for a nap and he died. She put her baby down for an hour and didn't know she was saying goodbye. And as her world collapsed, something important inside me shattered into unrecoverable pieces. How does one survive the unsurvivable? Nothing made sense. I packed up my tiny Emerson, only a few months old. 
and we drove eight hours west for Valor's funeral and his first birthday party. He missed turning one year old by only a week, and instead of pancakes for breakfast and a cake smash and celebration, his mom wept with empty arms. Valor dying did not reap within me what I expected. It deepened the shadows of the fear I carried with me. But Michaela's response, his precious mother, my dear friend, having lost her cherished son, did not lose herself entirely into the darkness of his death. And her strength, her willingness to be held in God's love as she faced the unimaginable changed me. Michaela's strength to get out of bed on the day of her baby's funeral, to put on clothes, to walk into that church and onto that stage and share the gospel of hope in the face of hopelessness shook my world. Someday I will lose people I love. I don't know when I will die or when the people I love will die, but it is certain it will happen. But it doesn't have to crush me because death with Jesus is not an eternal goodbye, but the most important move into our eternal destination. The place that knows no fear, suffering, sin, or brokenness. The place that valor is. Right now. I don't know what it looks like going to heaven, but I know how much God loves children and the beautiful curiosity in them. It's almost valor's second heavenly birthday, what would have been his third birthday on earth. And I wonder right now if Valor is getting to grow up there with Jesus. Maybe he's turning three right now and it's more wildly amazing than anything we can imagine. Getting to experience the truest of magical childhoods. Because it's in that place of light and joy that knows no sin or struggle or pain. So the question, what broke you? My answer has changed throughout the last 14 years. What broke you? Fear of losing those I love. What broke you? I saw my friend walk in the valley of the shadow of death and survive. What broke you? I will not be broken by fear. This world is not our end. I cannot find a more appropriate ending to this than to share with you the words Michaela shared from stage the day of Valor's funeral. I have always hated funerals. And yet this, this service, these words, I've gone back and listened to three separate times because they're powerful and they're beautiful and you will be blessed by listening to her strength in the face of unimaginable sorrow. Almighty man of you are so brave and bold. You're filled with such a purpose. I long to watch unfold mighty Such 
This is a lullaby I wrote for Valor during his first few weeks of life. I would sing it to him every night, and I would pray over him, rock him, and consecrate his life to the Lord as I nursed him and rocked him before bed. With as much as the gift that the Lord has given me with words, for some reason, I could never figure out what to write for the next verse to that song. So I would just repeat it over and over and over, holding on to the promises of what it meant. I can now see the parallel between the short verse and his precious short life. And yet God put those words in my spirit for him and I am seeing the promises of his purpose unfold before my very eyes, even in the wake of his death. I contemplated even speaking today because I didn't know if I would be able, but I sat down to write this over the last few days, trying to be still and allow God to write these words in my spirit just as he did with Valor's song. I realize the magnitude of the mouthpiece that God is using me for right now because of valor. I consider it an honor and a great burden of responsibility to speak to so many people and have them hear me. But more than hearing me, I want you to hear God speak through me. I believe that valor was God's vessel that he used to melt my heart of stone to awaken my dead soul and unveil the holiness, beauty, and goodness of who he truly is. Before Valor, I was chasing a dream, a worthless dream of notoriety, significance, success, and platform. I put my work before my family and measured my worth with a monetary scale. My focus was so misaligned with what God's will was for my life. When I was a child, I remember telling a family member in a firehouse subs one day at lunch, I feel like I have this huge purpose for my life. And they told me that was good, but that everyone usually feels that way and that God will use us all in different ways. And I said, no, not like this. I know my purpose is different. It's big. I have felt this calling my entire life, and for the longest time, I thought it was going to be something completely different, something shiny, something worthy, something I myself created. I wanted to be used. I asked God, begged him my whole life to use me. I have journal entries with tear-stained pages asking God to reveal his purpose for me, but never, ever did I think it would include this? And that's the thing about God-filled purposes, isn't it? If he reveals them, would we still ask him for it? If we knew we had to be shattered in his will, would we still lay ours down? I had a miscarriage right before Valor. If you followed me on social media or knew me, I wrote about that pain and how I didn't understand it. And then, like he always does, God redeemed. 
Valor Monroe was knit together in my womb in January of 2020. He accompanied me through one of the hardest years of my life, and his life being woven together within mine started to shift me. My passions, my desires, my heart all started to soften, change and mold into this new creation, one that I didn't even recognize. My zealous nature stayed the same, but passions behind my zeal started to align with him. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For my whole Christian life, I claimed to be a Christian and I did not know what that meant. Where do I seek? Where do I find? He tells us, and it's so simple, his word. Not at the top of Imogene Peak in Ure, Colorado, not in the wonder and the mystery of the Milky Way, not in another eloquently written book, not in psychological explanations of the human mind. Those are all reflections of him and can stir in us a question that needs answering about our creator, but they are just the creation. Apart from him, they are meaningless. God's inerrant word is where he tells us to find him. And when I started to dive in, he was faithful to reveal himself to me. Throughout my entire pregnancy, I kept saying, I feel like I'm being called to something so much bigger than I can even imagine right now. I don't know if anyone understood what I was saying because looking back, I didn't even understand it. Valor's pregnancy was the hardest on my body than any other child of mine. Our lives outside the womb were just as tumultuous. I was stressed, sick, and anxious. When I was 37 weeks, I went into labor. I had decided to have an all-natural birth because I wanted to experience the sacredness of bringing life into the world in a raw and unfiltered way since this was my last child. I felt it was something God was preparing me for. My labor lasted 37 hours and was excruciating. It was exhausting, it was scary, it was nothing like I thought it would be or hoped it would be. It was hard and it was holy, much like this. I think back to how I brought valor into this world and the primal noises that came from my innermost being resemble so closely the sounds that it made when I found his lifeless body in his crib. It is an image I am praying for the Lord to take from me. Valor changed my life in ways that no one, even the closest to me, can comprehend. I know that they've seen it, but it cannot be put into words. Long before Valor was born, before we knew whether he was a boy or a girl, the name Valor was written into my heart. I kept it a secret, even from justice and friends, until literally during my labor. It was the only name that I did that with. I loved it so much, and I just knew it encapsulated everything I felt this baby was called to. Bold, courageous, especially in the face of battle, which is what his name means. But I thought that his name was going to be for him and all the Lord had prepared for him and not me. But I have felt God preparing me for this very hour. I can't explain it. I have felt his sovereignty over my life. I can feel it in every crevice, in every corner of my being. On July 22nd this year, I wrote these words in my journal. 
Lord, thank you for little valor. You knew him before he was born, and you knit him together in my womb. I thank you for his life. Protect him. Keep him. Grab hold of his heart and life from infancy. Let his walk in life not be too tumultuous, and let your will be done for his life and purpose. I then went on to pray over all of my family's hearts and wrote, Father, regenerate these hearts so that when this life is over, I will see them in eternity. Reveal yourself to them, and in your timing, bring glory to your name. I see him weaving this picture, and although I can't quite get far enough away from it yet to understand what it means or what it is, I know one day, when I ascend to heaven, I will look down and see it with perfect clarity. Valor was my world. I love him with a love that transcends time and dimension. And my love is tethered to him forever. But the constant ache I have felt in this life begs my attention to the next. God did not cause his death. He conquered it. And so I mourn. But I do so with a joy in my heart that I cannot explain. Because I know that God is loosening my grip more and more on this world so that my heart can be firmly anchored where my true citizenship lies. Where Valor is right now, experiencing a joy we cannot fathom in these broken bodies. God used Valor to aid in my salvation, and I know he is doing it for others. And really, what more is there of a purpose for any of us than that? So I use this mouthpiece, this stage, this platform that God has used Valor as the catalyst to. I use it to beg you to look to him, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the author of life itself, and the conqueror of death. I beg you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Like the great Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. When your hope is in Christ, you are not overtaken by the waves of uncertainty or pain in this life, but rather you can kiss them as they remind and throw you against the only one who can offer any answer reason, solace, hope, or peace in this broken world. And a day is coming for all of us. Whether we choose to face it or not, a reckoning is coming for us all in death. And we may not answer to anyone in this life, but we will answer to God in the next. And the Bible explains a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on sinners like us like me, and when we turn and face what we have done and who we are to our core, the guilt will be crushing. But friends, this is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And when we are met with the true reality of who we are without Christ and look our depravity in the face first, and then experience true forgiveness, mercy, and grace only found in him. That is the kind of grace that changes hearts. It changes lives. It changed mine. And because I've experienced this forgiveness, 
and hope and mercy and grace. I can face valor's death with absolute certainty and blessed assurance that I will see him again. And I will trade this broken heart, this shattered world, this shifting sand for an unending, whole, joy-filled body that will lift my son into my arms in heavenly fields of wildflowers. I will see my savior face to face and I will thank him for while I was still dead in my sin, he sought me out and pursued my heart and drew me to him. In the midst of sorrow and anguish, he let not one tear fall from my face without using it, not for temporary purposes, but eternal ones. So, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart. I will wait for the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May Christ be magnified through you, little valor. <laughs>